Hello, welcome to Charity Chat. I'm your host, Samuel Davies. In this episode, we speak with Nikki Bell, co-founder of Fundraising Everywhere. Nikki and I touch on a plethora of topics relating to fundraising, including maintaining good mental health and training and skill sharing for fundraisers. This episode of Charity Chat has been brought to you by our platinum sponsor, Work for Good, a fundraising platform which helps charities streamline and unlock small business sales fundraising via a supporter-friendly digital commercial participation solution so that small but mighty businesses can fundraise for causes they love and charities can maximise this awesome, sustainable source of income. I really enjoyed this chat with Nikki Bell. So without further ado, here she is speaking about fundraising everywhere. I'm delighted to be joined today by Nikki Bell, co-founder of Fundraising Everywhere. Nikki, welcome to Charity Chat. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to, to chat. As am I. And I, <laughs> I've, been, uh, I've been following your... I suppose we, we our paths have somewhat almost crossed a few times over the last few years. So it's really great that we're having this chat now because I know some of your work. I suppose some of our listeners, a lot of our listeners will probably know. But maybe the first question I, I should ask you is just to explain to our listeners what your background is and what led you to co-found Fundraising Everywhere. And also, what does Fundraising Everywhere do? Okay, great. Yes, from my background, I started working with charities over 10 years ago. I came from the corporate side. Um, I was part of a CSR team for Tesco Bank and was just immediately hooked by being able to do good as a job. I worked for a local hospice in um, individual given community roles, worked with corporates, worked with volunteers, and then moved from that job after I had my my little boy into uh, a national role with with the British Heart Foundation. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think there is just really where like my fundraising skills were able to get honed. You know, I was looking after the Northeast of England. Um, I was seconded to um, run the the project for them to to rebrand, which gave me massive oversight into all these other fundraising departments. And because I was learning all of this stuff and just working with these amazing people, um, I started to get involved with event organizing and volunteering for the Chartered Institute Fundraising. Um, And it was through that job so I organized the first two Northeast fundraising conferences. I was a volunteer on the uh, convention board at right. the London convention. Um, and was just basically trying to bring all of this awesome stuff that was happening around in regions into London and share that with fundraisers. Um, and it never really felt like it was enough because even though we were like taking this learning down, I'm aware this is a very whistle stop overview of things and I'm not going <laughs> into in too much detail yeah um but it was through this job and, and through this uh, role of curating the, the convention that I realized that just bringing the regional learnings into this London event wasn't really cutting it mm. there was still a huge barrier to fundraisers being able to achieve like their professional and personal goals because they couldn't take time out of work to travel they didn't have the budget they might have had care and responsibilities might have had mm. disabilities And so uh, myself and uh, a work partner at the time, uh, Simon Scriber, we started talking about, well, how can we uh, how can we change this? How can we do something better? And we both got rejected from uh, this other conference that we'd applied to. And that kind of accelerated the chats on a little bit further because we were like, 
let's take all of these rejects and host this host this conference. <laughs> and it was through those conversations of like, right, well, if we're going to create this conference, what's the issue with all of the opportunities that exist already and how can we change that? And that's mm. how Fundraising Everywhere was, was created. So combining, you know, my experience with the curation and the community management with Simon's tech skills and, and his um background in the sector he'd worked with charities a lot longer than I had and that's where it came from and we hosted this because we were like it needs to be accessible which was time as well and it ended up being this 12-hour virtual event um, which we would never do again I think that was one good thing from the pandemic that we never had to do a 12-hour event again um and it was just it was this so that was a fit that was a 12-hour physical event oh it? god yeah yeah 9 a.m oh 9 p.m i know do you know what though it didn't feel that long and again i think it's because this was like 2019 yeah and do you know what it was meant because we we started this thing and then every kind of natural thing that you had to do with an event mm-hmm. we were like well how do we make it better like what do we do and just being able to build something from scratch and just think of new ways of doing things was amazing so things like paying all of our speakers, like we were doing this Mm. voluntarily. We didn't have any money, but we were like, well, if we're going to make money from this through the tickets and the sponsorship, then we need great talent to be on there and they need to be rewarded for their time. And it's all these things that shouldn't be groundbreaking, Mm. um, but we just wanted to start something from scratch and we wanted to push other people to do better. And the idea was that it would just be this once a year thing. But once we launched the first one and people started coming to us and saying, well, can you do something in this area? Can you do webinars here? And we were like, right, well, we can't stop now. And now it's a a whole community. So we host monthly conferences. We've just launched some free webinars as well. We've got a membership so that people can have access to everything forever. It's all recorded. Um, They get free consultancy, free training. They get like these member coaching calls as well, where we get experts in and we really see ourselves as the facilitator. So we're the platform creating this, you know, engaging and exciting and accessible experience. And we just match these brilliant fundraisers with these brilliant people. And then they then come together to make the magic happen. So that's wow. how I, I see it as. And it, it's, it's evolved even further because the platform that we hosted the events on uh, is a one that we built right from the very beginning, because again, we wanted it to be engaged and be exciting and it's great because people are able to now buy that platform for their own uses and take what we've learned about virtual event experiences and apply that into their own fundraising programs or marketing programs. And it's just wonderful being a small team that's able to adapt and pivot and, um, and just uh, support people where they need it. So with the events that you're organising uh, over the last couple of years, have you found then that are you getting a lot of people coming to those that wouldn't have been able to go to your usual type of conference? Yes. So there's a very broad mix of people. We have, you know, the CEO and then the CEO because they are the one person that works at that organisation. Um, you know, they are um, managing the deliverables, they're doing the finances, they're doing everything. Um, and they come because they can just learn in their own time. Mm. They can network with people just like them who get it. Um, and there's no pressure on them. You know, this, there's this whole library there that they can just dip into as and when they need. Yeah. But right on the other side of the scale, you know, you have these ch- uh, charity fundraisers coming from massive organizations where maybe the fundraising budget is quite tight so not everyone can go to everything. You know, you might have experienced it. I, I know I got it when I worked at the BHF. It was like, you know, we have these conference tickets, five people can go. Like, there's no issue with that with us because yeah. it's virtual. It's like 30 quid. Everyone can come. So 
the price point for us had to be uh, really uh, quite low to a point mm. where people could pay for themselves if they needed to, but still at a level that showed that what they were learning was quality and to be able to us to invest that back into bringing more speakers through, providing more you know um, free places for people who were just absolutely just couldn't get there uh, in, in any other way. Um, we're always just constantly thinking of new ways that we can improve that as we go along. I think it's such a great idea. And I, I guess from my own point of view, you know, I, I've, as you say, I've, I've had it situations where, you know, you want to go to a conference, but you can't justify the expense whether you work for a small charity or even, you know, if, you're, if you're, your line manager can't see the benefit or, you know, they, there's only one of you can go. Having mm. that kind of bank of knowledge that you can access with, with your platform sounds like a great idea. I guess also it's, it's really the impetus for charity chat in the same way that we recognise that, there are a lot of people out there, including ourselves, who wanted to learn more about the sector, but either didn't have the uh, the funds to do so or the availability of those uh, those learnings elsewhere. So that sounds fantastic. Um, so, yeah, I guess the the other question I have for you is the challenges. So obviously, you know, we find ourselves recording this in January 2022 mm -hmm. and um, still getting used to that. And we, we, we've got also, you know, we're in the middle of a, pan well, we don't know where we are in the pandemic. I keep saying the middle of the pandemic. Recordings a year ago, we were saying the middle of the pandemic. Of course, we don't know where we're at, but there are lots of challenges. So what challenges to fundraising and fundraisers have you seen during the pandemic the last couple of years? What tools are out there to help overcome these challenges? Mm, there's a huge problem with fundraisers being asked to do more with less and whether that's less training, less resource, less time. Um, I think we will, we are still waiting to see the full effect of what those redundancies and furloughs will have on teams. And it was strange because at a time where we needed the income the most, you know, there was less people to, to deal with that and to be able to respond to the goodwill and this need from the public to want to channel into doing something good and I think it's going to take a while for us to, to pull back from that and I think not only that but the pandemic's accelerated how people want to interact with us what they expect from us tech is and digital is just accelerating at a rate that the charity sector can't keep up with you know it, we've experienced from um, hosting events on, on our platform for the people you know, you've still got these charities who are still trying to deal with Zoom, you know, and now they're like, oh, the metaverse is coming and I need to be oh, across gosh, this. Yeah. Yeah. And I know that's not as a whole. I know, obviously, for a lot of charity organizations, that's not going to be their demographic, but we still need to be up to date with what's happening in their world. And we are still trying to catch up with, with what's happening here. There are things out there that I think can help us. And I think one of the, the main things around that will be mindset is just making sure that we carve out enough time to stop pause and reflect and just make use of the details that are out there. And again, I think just because of the pressure that's on fundraisers, that's on charities, we we whiz through things quite quickly and we don't really take the time to test new things or adapt based on the data that we that we have. And there might be quite a lot of pressure from boards saying, right, well, we know that this thing will 100% work, so I want you to go away and do that. And unfortunately, it doesn't work as well anymore because, as I mentioned before, like what our donors actually want and need has, has changed. I would encourage your listeners to make use of the data and the information that's available out there from other people. So um, Open, they have their charity benchmarks. They have their um, COVID impact monitor that came out in 2021. They do an annual benchmarks to uh, predict what's changing and just you know show uh, what's happening across all of these charity organizations and, and what good looks like. 
Uh, we have the digital um, uh, benchmarks from uh, Rally. We have a digital specific uh, benchmarks product that's available for us as well. We've got the virtual monitor from, from Massive and we have our own. So fundraising everywhere and everywhere plus a launching um, uh, a research piece which will be available from early March which will show the impact that non-fundraising virtual events have had on the charity sector. So things right. like conferences, webinars, training, engagement events too, as those sorts of things. And all of this information is readily available. And whilst a charity fundraiser won't be able to just look at that and go, oh, that's exactly what it will be like for me. So I'm just going to change and copy that. Mm -hmm. But it does really give a, a good insight as to the trends of what's coming soon, what people need to prepare of, and most importantly, what their priorities um, need to be and I guess with the fundraising everywhere community that we've got and that we're starting to build it's this great network of people that are just happy to share answer questions you know be there if you if you need some help but what we've been supporting with mostly recently is giving the fundraisers the confidence and the data and the tools they need to be able to put into action what they already want to do and believe they just need to go back and convince that to the to the powers that be um, but imagine you know if we trusted and people to to, to do uh, their job and, and to innovate more we could cut out all of that like approval time and uh, so that's something that i would love to see change in the future well that would be great wouldn't it and i know that you know we've covered in the past the kind of diverse diversity on boards you know and, and trying to make sure that boards are ready to give the green light to either that kind of freedom mm. for fundraisers to actually go out and have a bit more freedom in the decisions they're making or or even to drive some of those changes from board level which would be fantastic so listening to what you're saying for fundraisers it's about potentially bringing together their knowledge of their own donors because every organization i would say should be donor centered fundraisers should be donor centered understanding their donors and where their donors are in terms of their digital kind of platforms that they're on and, and wherever they are and bring that in with the external uh, digital platforms that are out there and matching those two things together. So making sure that they are where their donors are. Is that the idea? Mm. Yes, yeah, so I agree with you in terms of like understanding what your donors need and preempting what they what they might want and, and adapting to that. So whether it's the efficiencies of your website um, so that they have better experiences right through to the products that you offer so that they can get involved with you in a, in a more meaningful way. Mm. But I think we are seeing the shift now as well that there is the understanding that charities and fundraisers need to have more confidence and ownership in what they do. Mm -hmm. And sometimes our donors might not agree with that sense. But, you know, if we do want to have this positive change in the world, then we can't let them call the shots at every opportunity because right, we okay. are the ones with that insight and in, in the data. Sure. Um, but, yeah, I think there are definite ways that we can learn to move forward with these things. But it's just we've come through a really difficult time with the pandemic where everything that we've known has been thrown up in the air and we're having to start from scratch. And I completely understand the urge to just, you know, get back to normal. Mm. But, you know, we've heard it saying so many times, like normal doesn't exist anymore. Like yeah. we, we have this massive opportunity to create something new. We have to create something new. So it's like, let's just grit in and do it because we've been talking about it for so long pre-pandemic anyway. Like now's the time like test new things, try new things. It doesn't have to be massive, doesn't have to be expensive. It could just be, you know, um, trying like a, a small networking meeting on a virtual meeting platform, or mm. it could be, you know, changing and adapting how you talk about your products online. It could be partnering with uh, another charity organization or a local group to propel your mission forward. I think there's just so many opportunities out there. And I think the people that are on the front line of it really need to be listened to because they're the ones that can see these opportunities day in, day out. 
So, Nikki, there have been a lot of commentators, both in the media and on the Charity Chat podcast, speaking about the rate of change and how the pandemic has sped this up. You mentioned it before. At the same time, I suppose resilience, well-being and mental health are all under pressure in all of us. And I imagine with all the work that you and your colleagues at Fundraising Everywhere are doing, there are times of high stress. What do you do to keep mentally healthy? Okay, so on a practical level, I do not have my work emails or work communication tools on my mobile phone at all. So, um, yeah, in in fundraising everywhere, we use Slack. Obviously, we we use um, like email and I don't have that on my phone. And I say to the team, like, don't have it either, because if you're not working, you're not working. So getting the notification through is not going to change that. Mm. And that's one thing that's helped massively. I don't have uh, Twitter on there. The only thing that I I really use at the moment is, uh, is Instagram. Um, and that's just for like looking at pretty pictures of scenery and, and dogs and, and <laughs> Which whatever. Is like essentially I, quite good for mental health, yeah, I guess. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But one thing that I found really helpful for me personally is finding an identity like outside of work. Mm. Um, I'm I'm a very driven person. I get very excited about things. I love working with people and I genuinely, I genuinely love what I do and I genuinely love the sector. Mm. But I found that like it was just every minute, every day working towards this one goal of what we were trying to achieve through fundraising everywhere and everywhere plus. So I've set myself some personal goals outside of work. Um, and it's around, uh, you know, using, using my body, using my mind and doing things that are healthy. So I became a kayaker in 2021. Yes. I bought a kayak and I go sea kayaking. Um, I'm training to be a power lifter. So I have my first competition in August this year. And that gives me really good focus and drive when, I get up at five o'clock in the morning to go to the gym. Um, and I have just registered recently um, to get my mountain leader qualification, which will be a longer term goal, probably over the next three years. So I can start taking, I take my friends on like um, hikes and walks and things like that anyway. But oh, I just yeah. thought through the qualification, I could do that a bit more, sa- a bit more safely um, yeah. and, and hopefully bring other people into it. Because our kind of outdoor groups is starting to grow with people that I don't know. So I was like, right, I mm. want to do this a bit more safely. So it's nice to start doing those things um, outside of work as well. And I mentioned, you know, I've got a little boy and I want to start bringing him into it. So I bought um, a tandem back, uh, kayak so he can come out and see with me. We're doing a bit oh, of wild wow. camping together this year. So yeah, it's 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 been great to to have that outside of work focus, which I think is really important. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I mean, I can I can that resonates with me. Certainly, uh, similarly, I've got a, a young child, and he's uh, he and I we love being outdoors. So I think that's the other mm. thing. And I guess for me, I'm, I'm my aim is to get out for a walk every day which doesn't seem like a, a big deal. And it, I think it'd be a kind of 15, 20 minute walk, but yeah. uh, it's definitely achievable, I think. So um, and I need to lose some of those mince pies because they're, they're still with me. So. I mean, that is, that is definitely worth keeping though. I mean, you kind of, you know, it's no, no pressure on people for, for how you look. It's just about being healthy and, and getting out there. But I do recommend, there's a great book, which I'll share with you afterwards. And it's like, mm. um, it's a, a log book and it, it encourages you to, have more local adventures because everyone thinks adventure you need to go like climb up like Scarfell Pike or like mm. wild camp at the top of Scotland mm. but actually just getting out and exploring a new bit of your local area can be just as adventurous so um Alistair Humphreys is a, a good author for that one but there is a little log book that I've bought for myself and for a member of the my team as well which has been helping us to get out more. And do, do you and your team, do you have conversations about mental health as part of your work? Do you, is that kind of a, a theme that runs through through your work or is it is it just kind of given that people are just aware of the, of the you know, making sure or having not having emails and things on their phones? No, it, it is something that I, I do bring up with them 
regularly um mm. you know we we have so we have kickoff uh, calls at the beginning of every week where we talk about what what we're working on i have mm. check-ins with the team regularly through me and my fellow co-founders uh, simon scriver we chat a lot and i would say that every conversation that we have about what we're working on it's like well how are how are you like do, can i help with anything you know we had a member of staff who have relieved some of the, the pressures of the work that were on them by you mm. know removing some of their responsibilities by changing some of the the objectives that we're working towards and mm. you know even you know giving them extra uh extra time off so that their holidays didn't have to be used for like practical things because i think sure when you're working remotely it's so hard to just glean from people in a couple of minutes conversation that they are actually okay so i'd yeah. rather do those actions anyway um on the off chance that they did need it but they just didn't have the opportunity to talk about it rather than them rather than them struggle but um we're still you know we've always been a remote first team mm-hmm. we do we do meet in person where we can obviously time and, and pandemic uh, allowing um and i would say that we are still like learning ways to support each other on this but it's something that's really really important to us to to get right because we've we've all experienced it in some capacity whether personally or, or with family or, or colleagues and it's mm-hmm. just something that you can't ignore and and is it working remotely do you find is that um i suppose in some ways that's a benefit i mean certainly when i'm working remotely which i do the majority of the week at the moment and uh, and i that ability to get out for a walk at lunchtime in the countryside because we live in the countryside oh, is, nice. is fantastic yeah lovely yeah and um and then um but then on i suppose the flip side for me because i'm a bit of an extrovert i suppose is mm-hmm. is that kind of a lack of uh, connection uh with uh, with colleagues is sometimes something i miss i guess and, and do you with your team i mean p- presumably because you've been working remotely for such a long time that's kind of what people sign up for is it or or are people kind of finding ways of you say you meet up when you can and, and are people mm. trying to find ways of having that um or not being lonely i suppose yeah i mean we we talk quite regularly and um, so we'll check in with the team uh, almost you know on a on a daily basis through slack we have conversations with them throughout the week and one of the things that i've just started this week is just having um like a digital co-working space so if i'm just cracking on with someone i'll just go in my meeting room and people are just welcome to come in and, and hang out if they need it yeah. um and we always meet up in person at least every three months just to go through everything like celebrate and just let off a bit of steam nice. so we do talk quite a bit but i mean there's this you know, I would rather them go and get that, you know, physical interaction with people that they, that they love, not that they don't love or like us, but it's like, (laughs) if they work from home, like go and see, go and see a pal at lunchtime and go for a walk, like, you know, start your work early and cut out at four o'clock to spend time with your kids. Like that's the benefit of remote and, and virtual and flexible working. And I would love them to use that extra time and space to, have lives outside of and, and beyond work where they can feel fulfilled. Um, mm. One of our business goals is actually to move towards a four-day week in the next couple of years. Oh, cool. Um, and that's a proper four-day week. So it's like four days, not condensed hours and still mm. on full pay. Not this full, not this four-day week where people are on like compressed hours. So condensed hours and getting paid less or whatever. Yeah. Um, and that's just because we totally get that if people have that time and mental space outside of work to be creative, spend time with people that they love. They are much more effective and impactful when they're in work and we want to facilitate that. So if there are any awesome people um, that want to join our team and help us get to, to that goal, uh, we would absolutely love you uh, to, to join us. I think that's such a great idea. I mean, I've, I was reading, I think beginning of the pandemic, funnily enough, I was reading um, 
Rutger Bregman's book, uh, Utopia for Realists. Mm -hmm. And in that he was uh, championing, I think it's fair to say he was championing, I think it was a 15 hour week. And there are examples of that. I mean, that's probably, you know, we're probably a couple of years away from that maybe, but, and there's certainly a lot of evidence to suggest that uh, productivity doesn't actually go down. It might even go up if people have less, uh, less hours working. So that's, uh, yeah, that sounds great. We need Um, to uh, get over our obsession with them. meetings before we can move down to a shorter week well this is true and i think <laughs> this this has been a bit of a, a benefit i guess for certainly uh, before uh, we yeah. at work we kind of invested in the paid zoom having a 40 minute cutoff on zoom is something that i'm uh, personally a, a benefit a beneficiary of i suppose and a proponent of yeah you know, that's, that's great. the 40 reason minute why meeting. you kept it that's why, <laughs> yeah. that's why we kept to the charity chat yeah that's exactly. what you're saying yeah <laughs> so um so Nikki, how is your work evolving through the pandemic and what opportunities do you see in the future for fundraising? Oh, so I think that this year, and I'm not just saying it because we own a virtual event platform, I genuinely believe this, um, and we're investing in the research to kind of test our hypotheses, that we're going to see um, the learnings that we've had over the past few years um, with virtual and virtual experiences to create more uh, meaningful connections with virtual. I think any tech that's developed, it's around faster processes, faster meetings, more work, make more Mm. money, spend more money. And I think there's going to be this desire from people to just slow down and start Mm. to use technology for the use that was originally created for, which was around connecting people um, in times and places where it wouldn't have been possible. And I think charities have got a huge potential with that as they can start to build more experience into their workflows, into their uh, fundraising and start to connect with people more. Mm-hmm. Um, I think as well, like as communities, as, as you said before, like, are we at the start of a pandemic still? Are we in the middle? Are we at the end? Like, we do not know. But one thing that's been consistent throughout is that um, people in local communities, like they are supporting each other. They want to see each other succeed. And mm-hmm. again, I think fundraisers can play a huge part in pulling people together and help to rebuild um, and connect on a, on a more community focused level. Um, and I think, um, we'll start to see people utilizing these partnerships and communities a little bit more. So we've seen it with gaming. We may say with NFTs and, and cryptocurrency, like coming soon in the metaverse, but I think fundraisers and charities are getting wise to, oh, I don't need to do all of this myself. Here's a great person that knows this already. They have a network already. I'm going to use my skills as a community builder to get to know them, find out how we can adapt to this, and then they can come and do it for for our organization. I think we'll start to see more of that come through. But I think the key opportunity that we've had from all of this is that people have been more open and understanding of testing, of trying new things, of things not being perfect straight away. You don't have to launch a product now that is completely done and polished you know, get it out there, get it shaped by the people who it's intended for, build on feedback, build on that data and start to to create as you go. And I think if we can start to have more of that mindset and understanding uh, coming through from charity organizations, from boards, from teams, that's how we'll start to see innovation uh, keep on going rather than us just getting frightened again and waiting for somebody else to to make the first move. So there's loads of great things that have come out of this. And I think we really need to focus on those positives because it has been really tough few years and it probably will still continue to be tough but if we can just have this mindset of this is what I can control within this and I'm going to control the heck out of it because I want it to succeed and you have the support of your team there because 
resilience isn't just about you as a person. It's about the support networks and belief that you have around you in the space that you have to, to grow. I think that's just a huge opportunity for people in the sector as a whole. Nikki Bell, thank you for contributing to Charity Chats. Thank you. I'm glad we squeaked it in before you, you Zoom time and uh, <laughs> kicked us out. But it's been so lovely. And, and thank you for inviting me on and, and for sharing. And I just just to say to any of your listeners, if it's feeling a bit overwhelming for you, like just chat with us. You know, we're happy to have conversations. And if we don't know the answer, we definitely will know somebody that will and we can put you in touch with them. And that's that's what we're here for. So, yeah, use it to as much as you can. Fantastic. Many thanks. Cheers, Nikki. A big thank you to Nikki Bell for sharing her knowledge, enthusiasm and expertise with us on Charity Chat. It struck me that Fundraising Everywhere and Charity Chat have some common founding principles. Both of us started out to support fundraisers who might not otherwise have been able to access the learnings and information sharing that we both offer. Both Nikki and I have seen the limits of the old world form of training and it's heartening to hear more about the successes that Nikki and her colleagues have brought for fundraisers and the many charities that they represent and are fundamental in maintaining and growing. We recognise that fundraisers have in many cases less resource, less time and more demand on the services they are raising funds for and any collective support should be encouraged to help face these challenges. Speaking with Nikki illuminated a few things for me. We speak a lot on the podcast about being target audience centered as fundraisers. This is crucial, of course, in order to build long term and mutually beneficial relationships. However, we should not confuse being donor centered in our fundraising approach with handing over the direction of our charities and fundraising activities to our donors. As Nikki said, the people who are on the front line need to be listened to because they are the ones who can see the opportunities. And as we've talked about in the podcast before, fundraising as a profession really needs to be recognised and the, the knowledge and expertise that fundraisers have needs to be recognised both internally in a charity, but also externally too. Finding an identity outside of work can be difficult. For Nikki, who by her own admission is a very driven person, has set a, she's set a clear break between her work and non-work self keeping her emails off of her personal phone, setting personal goals outside of the workplace. Nikki and her colleagues also seem to put energy into a system of check-ins and collaborative working to assist with each other's mental health as well and well-being needs. And many of us continue to adjust to working remotely. It will be interesting to see over time how organisations like Fundraising Everywhere, who to me seem uh, to be particularly progressive in how they work, and uh, have ambitions to move to a four-day working week. And it'd be interesting to see how they perform against organisations who may be returned to pre-COVID ways of working. Reducing meetings doesn't sound like a bad idea to me. And of course, this could be a part of the recipe to a more efficient and reduced working hours in some cases. Um, And if that is the case, then do sign me up. It got me thinking about what it is that drives our meeting culture. I suppose it will depend person by person, organisation by organisation. Is it inevitable that we, social animals that we are, need to interact with our colleagues? And if that can't be changed, and if it shouldn't be changed, what can we then do to improve the effectiveness of our meetings 
while delivering connection with one another, and perhaps in a more gratifying and engaging way too. Nikki's prediction is that technology is going to move to meet a desire to slow down and to start to use technology for connecting people, connecting with people. More could be the outcome. This brought me back to thinking about what fundraisers can do and actually what all of us can do as charity professionals to give our donors, fundraisers, beneficiaries and all of our stakeholders more useful communication. And what more can we give of ourselves to our professional endeavours without taking away from our own well-being. Fundraisers can play a huge part in helping to bring people, and indeed they do help to bring people and communities closer together. Perhaps we need to find new ways of testing and trying new things, practicing concept prototyping, for example, being less risk averse in the first place. These are surely key ingredients to the progress of fundraising, charities and the sector. And I, I for one, hope that we, we are able to practice that over the coming years. So thank you, dear listener, for getting this far with us. We hope you enjoyed this episode and continue to enjoy the podcast. We'd love to hear from you either way. It's just left for me to thank our corporate sponsors, our platinum sponsor, Work for Good, a fundraising platform which helps charities streamline and unlock small business sales fundraising via a supporter-friendly digital commercial participation solution so that small but mighty businesses can fundraise for causes they love and charities can maximise this awesome, sustainable source of income. I'd also like to thank Giant Squid Audio Lab for sponsoring our podcast, Kit Magda Axmit, for our beautiful website. Check it out at charitychat.org.uk. Forest of Fools for playing throughout the show and for playing us out right now. That's it from me. Keep on doing what you can. Speak to you soon. Cheerio. Bye-bye.